the Bible reliable? That's the question that we are looking at today. If you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 6, the Gospel of John chapter 6 is on page 892 of the Pew Bible, John chapter 6. We are one more week left in the Explore God series, which we have joined with about 900 churches in the Chicagoland area who are doing a sermon series or uh, group discussions on these seven questions that uh, come up about Christianity and about um, faith. And today we're looking at the question, is, is the Bible reliable? I'm just going to say this is hopefully a sermon gets a conversation started. And there is a ton of information on this subject um, to, that, will, that I would encourage you, if you have questions even more afterwards, I can direct you to. But John chapter 6, verses 60 through 69, says this, And Jesus said some things that people didn't like, and his disciples were troubled with, and it says this, When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have to come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thanks for your word. Lord, thanks for the chance just to study it and together, together and hear it. And I pray that you would just open it up to us and encourage us with it this morning and give us confidence in what you have to say. And Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Is the Bible reliable? There, there's a lot of assumptions about that questions for many people. When I was in college, um, I worked for, uh, well, I would go help a church on the weekends with the youth group, a couple of guys of us, and one thing that we would do during the week on Saturdays, we'd just go visit some houses. And we, we'd come to one house, knock on the door, and uh, we told him who we were, and we started talking to him. And he said to us, his assumption was, he said that the Bible was written by a bunch of drunk monks in Tibet. And I think he told us that so that we wouldn't come back. But I loved the answer, so I came back every Saturday until uh, finally he basically told me don't come back anymore. Um, he, 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 that was his assumption, that the Bible was uh, written by a bunch of drunk monks in Tibet. People have all these assumptions about the Bible. Even today in our culture, there's assumptions of what it is and what it is not and what is in it and what is it is not in it. Even this past month with all the chaos in the government with the shutdown, uh, the politicians were trying to jump on the Bible and some of them were quoting texts that they said was from scripture that was not even in the Bible. Uh, but they assumed that this quote that they had heard was in the Bible. And there's all kinds of assumptions 
about how to read the Bible and how not to read the Bible. And the truth is, because of those assumptions, we have to be honest and say that people have read the Bible wrong. And there has caused a lot of harm and hurt in the world because of it. Through acts of violence and injustice that people tried to use the Bible to justify. And also on the other side, much of how the world's changed and been helped and things have shown to be done the right way has, become, has come because people have read the Bible and saw what the Bible says and helped things. But there's all these assumptions about the Bible. Assumptions are normal and natural when it comes to the Bible. In Luke 24, when Jesus was resurrected, the Bible says, and he's with his disciples, and he's walking with them, and he's telling them these things, um, and Jesus starts talking about the Old Testament and the Scriptures, they don't even believe. They're doubting. They're skeptics themselves. So really, the first skeptics of the Bible are, were even followers of Jesus, his own disciples. Well, what does the Bible assume about itself? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. This is what the, the Bible, this is what Scripture says and assumes about Itself. It says, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, or the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Bible itself assumes and says that all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's God's Word. It's, it's from God. It's, it's the Word's of God. Why would God choose to reveal himself through a written text? I mean, people don't like to read. Many of you don't like to read. So why, why would that be the means that God chose to reveal himself through written text, through scripture? Well, if you think about it, for that to happen, for, 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 all, for all of time, we, we, one of the greatest inventions was, or discoveries and inventions was the alphabet. For, for thousands of years, it, it, there's the, the alphabet was created so people could communicate and know things. And when you think about, if, if God's going to convey a message to us and to people and reveal himself to us, it has to be in a way that's available for people to understand. It would have to be in a way that's accessible for people to understand. And it would have to be in a way that's advanceable, that they could take this message from God and understand it, and that they could study it and know what he has to say, and they could pass it on. And when you think of all the means and the ways of communication, even with all the technology that we have today, one of the best ways, and still the best ways, that people communicate is through a text, a book. Ideas are passed that way. So really, the idea of a book is the best way. If you're going to convey a message to the whole world for ages to come, and if God was the one who conveyed it, and if Scripture is what he has, God has to say to us, it would carry some authority. Maybe you have questions about, is the Bible reliable? Is, is, it, is it something that you can really trust? And, and is it true? Is it actually factual? Is it really reliable? Is it really the word 
of God. And this morning, I just want to look at three areas of the, the authority of Scripture, the accuracy of Scripture, and the activity of Scripture. The authority of Scripture, the accuracy of Scripture, and the activity of Scripture. If God said this, if, if, this, if this is what Scripture says, Scripture claims from itself that all Scripture is breathed out by God, that that it's the word of God, that that means it would, it would, the scriptures would have a authority, but not just an authority in the book. It's all authority belongs to God. That's where all authority comes from. All, all authority is God's authority. God is the creator of the universe. He, he created it, the world, which means he has authority. That he, He's the one that called Abraham. Uh, he, he came to people. He then invested the authority that he has in Jesus Christ, the, the scriptures say. And then even in the, the apostles were invested, had the authority given to them. The God of all authority then. All authority comes from God. The God of all authority, he authored a book. And he's telling in this book how God is going to bring order to the world. How he's going to bring his order to the world. And he did it using very ordinary individuals in his world to do it. He, he, didn't, he didn't have robots. He used human men. And he guided them with their personalities, with their information, and he moved them with his authority to write a book, to reveal himself to the world, to tell the world how God is going to bring order back and restore the world the way it's supposed to be, which is why most of the Bible is a, is a narrative. It, it, it's mostly the story, isn't it? it, it would be, it, it's not a manual for your life. The Bible is it's a, it's a, it's a narrative story. It, scripture, it tells this overarching story that it has its climax in Jesus Christ. And it's the story of how God's remaking the world. And Scripture itself is part of the way God's authority is shown and the way God uses His authority. Romans 15.4 says, For whatever was written in former days, so the Old Testament, was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of Scripture, we might have hope. All authority is God's authority. He's given us his authority, and he's shown his authority, and he wrote a book, and he uses the Bible to express his authority, how he's turning the world to rights. And the question is, is it true? Is it true? And for it to be true, a certain aspect of it would be, is it true to how it addresses the world? Does the Bible speak our language, or does it speak to our situations? And if you looked at the Bible at all, you would have to say, yeah, it does. It does speak to our language. It does speak to our situations. In every culture, in every area, the Bible does. There's James 3, 7, and 8 says, For every kind of beast and a bird and a reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. If you found that to be true, you, you can tame all kinds of things, but when it comes to, like, I shouldn't say something, you say something. Why did I say something? Because you can't tame your tongue. Is that, is that, you not, is that not universal to all over the world? It, it, it speaks our language. It speaks to our situations. Proverbs 19.20 says, Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Have you found that to be true? Our whole education system is based off of reality. Go to school, don't talk, listen, so that you can grow up and be 
wise and have a future. The Bible relates to our situations in our language. The book of Ecclesiastes, I think, is one of my most favorite and fascinating books. And I've always said, and I've challenged the church a number of years ago, that read the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you have a friend who doesn't believe the Bible, doesn't believe in God, doesn't believe who Jesus is, get them to read the book of Ecclesiastes. If you can get them to read the book of Ecclesiastes, I think that they will find that what the Bible has to say about life makes sense. And if the Bible understands life, then maybe they'll take the time to find out what it has to say about Jesus. And so I, I gave that challenge a number of years ago. Kurt Thompson took me up on it, and he printed out the book of Ecclesiastes just on paper, and he handed it to a guy at work that he was talking to a number of years ago, and he, he tested it for me. And uh, the guy came back, and he read it, and he said to Kurt, that's a blankety blank good read, because the Bible understands life. It speaks our language. It speaks to our situations. There's authority to it. All Scripture is breathed out from God and is profitable. But is it accurate? Is it really accurate? Or really is the question we all really want to know, is is it credible? I mean, is it consistent? This book that's really a collection of books that were written over 1,500 years by numerous different authors, carried down through time, that we say, that we hold. Is it credible? Is it consistent? And so what's the, what's some evidence or that the Bible is accurately what it says it is? One of the things that, that has been proven to be true is that archaeology has been helpful. About a hundred years ago, People would say that the, the, the story of Jesus and the gospel is just a myth. It's not true. There was a guy that Jesus never lived. He was just this created, fictitious character, and everybody in that story just was myth. That's what was believed by scholars and those who were studying the Bible and said about 100 years ago that was the, the prevailing secular view. Until, for one example, in 1961, there was this stone that was found, dug up, and it was an inscription to Pontius Pilatus, or Pontius Pilate, around the same time that the scriptures of Jesus and other events and other things have been found. The people used to say, well, they didn't, they didn't crucify people until just, I think, about the last 20 years, they found a bone in Israel, or in, in, in Middle East, of a man with his ankle bone with a nail driven through it from a crucifixion site. Archaeology doesn't prove the Bible, but it has been very helpful to the Bible and to the history of it. There is archaeological evidence of the truths that have been said in towns that people never thought existed. They've, they've found them in Old Testament places. It doesn't prove the Bible, but it does. Archaeology has been very helpful to show the reality and the accuracy of it. But what's the, just, there's not just archaeology, but there's, just, there's an archive of evidence. There's just a, uh, many people would say, hasn't the Bible changed? I mean, after all those years, hasn't it just been written in a way that, that gets people just to, to hear what they want to hear and they, they, the things get moved around? 
But what we don't understand for us is that there was an oral culture and there were scribes that would write these truths and these stories down and they would take great care with them. The Bible was not passed along like the telephone game where it starts one way and then you pass something down at the end, it's something completely different. That's not how oral history was even written down in those days. In, in scribes, they, they took very careful, detailed time. They were very precise in what they wrote in Jewish scribes because they believed it to be the word of God. And they didn't want to get it wrong. So they're very careful in how they wrote it. And a number of years ago, there was a, bunch, a boy out in the, a couple of guys out in the desert, and they were watching their sheep, and they lost a sheep, and then they saw some spot, and they tossed some rocks up there, and they heard something crack. And they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were hundreds of ancient scrolls found in the, a cave, and what they found was many of them were scripture, and the book of Isaiah particularly. And from these thousands of years of being in these caves, what they discovered was the way Isaiah was written back then and the way Isaiah is written today was remarkably very similar, un, almost untouched in many ways. Because scribes took great care in how they wrote the Bible, the, the Bible, the New Testament particularly, has been preserved in more than 5,000 manuscripts. We don't have the originals, but little, little parchments and little transcribes, transcriptions of ancient works of literature. There's about 5,800 just for the New Testament. And people question, is it real? Is it accurate? But there, there are five copies of Aristotle's politics that was written 1,400 years after him, and nobody questions the historical accuracy of that. There, are, there is more manuscripts, more texts of Scripture which can be examined to see if they've changed, to see the differences. So when you hear somebody say that there's just not any evidence, there isn't an archive of evidence for Scripture, don't, don't assume that skeptics don't have an agenda. Uh, we, we, I believe the Bible is the Word of God, and I believe it's reliable. And when someone says that they don't, check the evidence. Examine the evidence. Search, search it. Stack up the evidence. Test it out. There's an archive of evidence for the accuracy of Scripture. But in one particular area, it's just the eyewitness accounts of the Gospels. We've said in this series that Jesus is God. We believe Jesus is who he says he is. So if Jesus is who he says he is, what he has to say about Scripture is either true or it's not true. If Jesus is who he says he is, if what he says about Scripture is true, then it's true. And if Jesus isn't who he says he is, then what he says about Scripture doesn't matter at all, and none of it matters. So the Gospels are very helpful areas for us to examine. Is Scripture reliable? Is it accurate? And as you look at the four Gospel accounts that were written not hundreds of years from the time Jesus lived, not thousands of years from the time Jesus lived, but Mark was the earliest one. We're probably written about 30 or 40 years after Jesus Lived And some of the epistles of Paul are even earlier than, than the Gospels. If you look at the Gospel of Counts, and what you will see is very, 
just the date of that. They, they were written in a very concise early period of time, and it contains all kinds of details when you read the Gospels. All four different counts uh, of de- the details, very specific details. Mark 15, 21, when Jesus is going to be crucified, and, and they, they are, he's walking, and there's going to be, um, Simon is told to carry his cross, and it says, Simon, the Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was asked to carry the cross. Now, why would you put Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, in your story if you're trying to make this up? You would put that detail in because you want people to know that Simon the Cyrene really lived, and his sons, Alexander and Rufus, are probably still alive, and if you don't want to find out more, go ask them. You, you can find these people. It, it, the details are for there to be, to be found. Much of the scriptures is written is like, go find out this. That's what Peter, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. He was seen by 500 people, many of them still alive. Why did he say that? So that people w- that were wondering, did Jesus really rise from the dead? They could go find these 500 people and ask them, what did you see? It, the, the scriptures were written not to be in a way to, to make it easy to assume it's false. It's written in a way with so many details that that's not how you would write a story that you were trying to make up. And very particular details. In John chapter 21, Jesus has died and the disciples are out wondering what's going on. They've gone back to fishing and it says in there that they caught 153 fish. Why would you put 153 fish as a detail? If you're trying to create some story, unless there was 153 fish that caught. And people liked, wow, that's a good day fishing. It's a very specific detail that happens when eyewitnesses see something. And as you read the Gospels, there are particular detailed differences that, that are not smoothed out. In one account that talks about there was one angel at the tomb, and another account says there are two angels at the tomb, and people get worked up all about worked up about this and say, "See, the Bible contradicts itself." But these are eyewitnesses' accounts, and each author was trying to show a particular way of making his point. It's particularly Luke, who was a historian, just like two ladies sitting at the welcome center or at the children's ministry. I could come in and say, "Hey, I, talk, I talked to Tammy at the welcome center, at the lady at the children's center, and she could have had somebody else sitting next to her." But that wasn't the point of my story. I was talking about Tammy being there. She could have been sitting there with two other people. But these are, this is how eyewitness accounts get passed along. This is what the gospel does. The gospels show these four different accounts, eyewitness accounts, very accurately and responsibly told. Even Luke said he was very careful to give an accurate account that was passed down. Not only that, most of the New Testament Gospels, it's problematic people who are telling these details. If you wanted to make up a story about a a God rising from the dead and create a religion, the people that the Gospels use are not people that you would use. They had no credibility in that day. You would not have used women to be the one to see Jesus rising. They had no credibility in that culture. You're not going to create a story that way. The, the, the details are told by very problematic people if you're not going to try to convey a lie. But I would just also say that there's, through all this, the perseverance of those details over the duration of time, hundreds and hundreds of years now, 
People have debated and tested and challenged the accuracy and the consistency of Scripture. And it still stands. C.S. Lewis, who was a scholar of myth, an ancient myth, and was renowned and known to be a scholar of ancient myth and how ancient myths were written, and people would say the Bible and the Gospels are just myths are created. But that's not how myths were written back in ancient days. They had stories, but they weren't filled with very particular details like the Gospels. And C.S. Lewis says this, said this, I, I had, and he was not a believer for many years. He was an atheist, but then he said, I have been reading poems romances, vision literature, legends, and myths all my life. I know what they are like. I know none of them, speaking of the Gospels, are like this. Of this Gospel text, there are only two possible views. Either this is reportage, eyewitnesses, or else some unknown ancient writer, without known predecessors or successors, suddenly anticipated the whole technique of modern, novelistic, realistic narrative. He's saying that, listen, that's not how myths were created. Either this is eyewitness accounts, the Gospels, or somebody had some great insight that he knew how myths would be created hundreds of years down the road, and he wrote them. And what C.S. Lewis went on to say is that people, that's not true. And people who think that, as a snobby professor, they just need to learn how to read. That's not how we read things. There's a great accuracy. There's archaeological is helpful. There's an archive of evidence that's been challenged and tested. And the Gospels themselves, Jesus quoted the Old Testament over and over in the Gospels. He called that the Scriptures. He saw it as the Word of God. He, he quoted the Old Testament as the Word of God and believed it to be the Word of God. There's a great accuracy to Scripture, but for many of you, for many of us, that, that might not be the biggest issue you're dealing with, is the reliability of the Bible. Ultimately, may not be the biggest issue. Mark Twain said, it, it ain't those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand that bothers me. What's the activity of Scripture? Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Scripture, the Bible, is the address of God to you. It's the, the God addressing humanity. And the question often comes down to, you can look at all the evidence in the world. You can research it and research it and examine it and examine it and keep looking for something else and keep looking for something else and maybe there's something else. And like C.S. Lewis said, it's almost like you're just looking through a window and you will never find what you're looking for because there's an attitude that you have to have that says, I'm going to look at the evidence. I'm going to have an attitude to, to accept the evidence if it is True. There's an attitude when it comes to Scripture of our hearts and our minds. We naturally, because of our natural state against God, don't run to Scripture. We, we, don't, we don't run to necessarily hear what God has to say to us. We actually consciously sometimes and unconsciously choose to avoid what God has to say to us. So there's an attitude that has to come through. Why? First... 
2 Timothy 2.3 again says, All scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. And Hebrews 11.6 says, Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. So maybe you have doubts about the Bible. And not anything I said today is going to convince you. It's to start the conversation for you to think about the reliability of the Bible. But I would encourage you this with your attitude towards it. If it is the Word of God, and with the length of the evidence, you owe it to yourself. With the, the, the years and the impact of Scripture on the world, you owe it to yourself to engage with the Bible, to test it out, to, to, to seek it out, to, to see what does it really say. Is that really what God says? To engage it, to test it. And then to expect. Expect to meet God in the Scriptures. This is what God says. It's His Word. This is how he revealed himself to you. So you come to scriptures and you engage with it and then you expect that it is what God says it is and that God's going to speak to you. You say, I don't believe in God. I'm not really, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm still struggling with, with, is the Bible God's word? Well, why not come to it with this expectation that God says it's his word? So I'm going to test God out. I'm going to expect that God, if this is your word, you, you want to speak to me? I'm going I'm to expect to meet you and come with that attitude towards it. And there are Christians. You say, I, I believe the word of God. I believe the Bible is the word of God. But you haven't been engaging with it much. You have not expected to meet God with it much. It's not what draws you you, you don't have a hunger and thirst like a newborn baby for the word of God. It takes more than just thinking about it. It's not just a mental exercise when it comes to Scripture. There is a will part of it where we have to do. We have to think, and then we have to act on what God says and who he says in his word and embrace it. And, and come to God that way, even as Christians. Come to God, say, with all the struggles that are going on in your life, and all those things that naturally, and some of them with intention, try to draw you away from God, try to draw you away from Scripture. And you can go weeks and months and say, I, I believe God, and I want to follow God, but, I, but you, I don't engage with God through his word because of this and this and this. Then just humble yourself and come to God and say, God, I, I believe this is your word. I want to think and I want to act. And I don't understand all that's going on, but I want to reach out and I want to hear from you through your word. And I'm going to trust that I can find you. John Patton was a missionary the 1800s, to the New Hebrides in the Pacific. And his story is unbelievable. Many, many times he would be in horrific situations where guns would be pointed at his head or a knife would be at his throat, constantly under these 
horrific situations. And he was on another situation one time. He, he didn't know who he could trust. Many of the people he, he, he couldn't trust. And then his autobiography tells a time where the, there's a massive group of people coming to kill him. And this guy tells him, who he's not even sure he can trust, hey, to climb up, just climb up in that tree and hold on until they pass. And he does. And years later, he said this. The hours spent there live all before me as if it were but of yesterday. I heard the frequent discharging of muskets and the yells. Yet I sat there among the branches, as safe in the arms of Jesus, never in all my sorrows, did my Lord draw me nearer to me and speak more soothingly in my soul than when the moonlight flickered among those chestnut leaves and the night air played on my throbbing brow as I told all my heart to Jesus, alone yet not alone. If it be to glorify my God, I will not grudge to spend many nights alone in such a tree, to feel again my Savior's spiritual presence, to enjoy his consoling fellowship. This is what God says for you. The scriptures is God revealing himself to you and it's like a branch of a tree. And there's all kinds of things that are chasing after all of us and chasing after you. And God's saying, reach out to the tree. Grab onto the tree. Come, come and you'll be safe. Come find my presence in his word because of what Jesus Christ did for us who is the highlight of scripture. So maybe you're a Christian and you, in your head, would say the Bible is reliable. But if you're honest in your heart and in your actions, because of what you're dealing with in life, you're not relying on the Bible. And I would just encourage you, because of Jesus, and because of his grace, reach out to the tree of Scripture and hold on and keep holding God. Uh, God will hold you and help you by the power of his word, guided by the Holy Spirit the Bible is reliable. Are you engaging with it? Are you expecting to meet God? And are you embracing it?